Well, after 16 weeks of flourishing in love by looking at the book of Mark, we're moved to the book of James. And I'd like to ask if today, we have not done this very much recently, if we could be much more interactive with each other, and if you're comfortable with that, I'd like to ask you to interact two different times. What I'd like to do is like to read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and then verse 22. And just if you would be willing, by someone around you, what did you hear or what did you read from James chapter 1? And near the end, could I have slide number 11, please? Near the end, I'd like to ask we have some small group conversation way at the end about two, two, two different things. Um, so James chapter 1, 22, and this is the key verse in the whole book of James. Do not merely listen to the word and so deep deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So if you'd be willing with someone around you, could you share how would you actually do what James says in actual life? And we'll go through that together. Or is the passage is going to talk about trials and temptations. If you'd be willing, could you share a trial or a temptation? And then can we just pray for each other? So we're trying to get more interactivity together as the body of Christ. If you don't want to do it, you certainly are not forced to. Uh, if you want to take a nap or pray or something like that, you can. But we'd like to invite you to interact with each other a bit more. So let's look at James chapter 1. And before I read it, let me just tell you a couple things. Did you know that James is Jesus' brother? James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until days after he rose from the dead. In 33 AD, for the first time, James believed his brother was the savior of the world. About 16 years later, at this time, he is now the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Let me tell you about the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is Jewish Christians. I want you to think about this. So they were not Jews in the traditional sense of Torah, and they were not Gentiles in the sense of the Roman Empire. They did not fit anywhere. So the Jewish Christians, listen to these words, they are absolutely impoverished. They cannot engage in Torah school. They're not able to engage in the marketplace. They're not able to be involved in all in politics. They are marginalized completely. And James is the pastor of the Jewish Christians. In AD uh, 16 later, 49, 40, AD 49, there's a big fight in the new Christian movement. Should Gentiles do X and Y and Z to be part of the church? So there are 613 laws that the Jewish people had. James, the leader, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church, said, let's choose four. And the Jerusalem Council, Acts 16, took those four, and that became what was expected of the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians together. One year later, he wrote the book of James. Now, interesting, it's not going to make any sense as they read it because he draws from two sources. James remembers what his brother said on the Sermon on the Mount. And all the way through the book of James, you're going to see references to the Sermon on the Mount spoken the way James understood his brother. And with it, you have Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. So the book of James, the brother of Jesus, the author, takes things Jesus has said 
and things he's memorized and puts them together. About 10 years later, he was killed. We think he was killed in this way. Pushed off the top of the temple in Jerusalem, pushed to the ground, as he splattered on the ground, surrounded by people with stones who stoned him to death. No, I tell you that because I want you to listen to his words in James chapter one. So could I read through chapter one, one through 18, and verse 22. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That perseverance finished its work, here's why, purpose clause, so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of us lacks wisdom, he says, we should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to us. But when we ask for wisdom, we must believe in that doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. We do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since the rich will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even when they go about their business. Now back to perseverance. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who loved him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted, and we are dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be kind of a first fruits of all he created. And then verse 22. This is the single most important verse in James' words. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. People of God, this is the word of God. If you're comfortable, would you just take a minute? What did you think? As you read, as you heard, what do you think? What do you think about James' words? Okay? Two minutes on your marks. Get set. Go. Okay. Thank you so much. Dave, may I have slides five and six, please? Let me just frame everything we're going to do with these next weeks around two slides. So what, I'm, what I want to be consistently saying, I've said now for about, about oh, six or seven times in the past month, comes in these next two slides. So Christ's disciples, that's, remember, let me just make re- 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 clear. I'm hoping we're going to stop using the word Christian around here. 
Christian has so much baggage to it, it is so misunderstood, and it is so ill-defined. It does not help us at all. And it's only used three times in Scripture. But the word disciple is used hundreds of times. And so what I'm asking us to consider, will we choose together to take steps to become disciples of Jesus instead of being defined as Christians? So here, in light of that, Christ's disciples seek to transfer, quote, right answers about Jesus into his responses in our own real-life situations. So this is WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus think? What would Jesus say if he lived his life in us and he wants to? So when we pray every Sunday now, seven years, we pray this every Sunday for seven years. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. How God's will is done is through his disciples. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't just, let your will be done, Lord, let your will be done. Oh, let's let, it, let it just fall on me. No, 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 no. Yeah, he can do that if he wants, but generally he works through people. Let me just keep put, casting vision for you. Why, again, why in the Gospels is so much attention given to the resurrection body of Jesus? When there is a new heaven and new earth, when heaven comes to earth completely, you will need a body. In just a moment, we're gonna look at chapter one, verses two and three. And this is what the brother of Jesus says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience trials of every kind, because the testing of your faith produces character. So this is what I'm going to say, the whole sermon in a sentence. Spiritual testing is intended to make you tough. Testing is intended to give us spiritual toughness. Let's take a real life example. Let's pretend we are Ukraine and cruise missiles come from hundreds of miles away and destroy downtown Pella Downtown Oskaloosa, downtown Newton, downtown Leighton, downtown. How much spiritual toughness do we have? So what he's saying to say to people who are impoverished, remember, Jewish people, no, these are Jewish Christians on the margins. They can't outwork. They can't get jobs. They can't educate their kids. They're just completely, completely, completely marginalized. And he says to these people who are scattered, now remember now, What's he talking about? Acts chapter eight, verse one. Persecution falls on the church and the church is scattered all over the world. So he begins, he says, to the church scattered. The Christians are, Jewish Christians are scattered all over the Roman empire now. And he's saying to scattered, persecuted people, consider it pure joy. When you experience trials of every kind, because the purpose of your trials is to make you spiritually tough. Now, this is, this is not, James uses the imperative voice more than any other New Testament writer. It's, it's, he speaks so, he's, he's exhorting people who are desperately needing to be strengthened. And a Christian just goes, well, I'm, life is just hard. And, <laughs> yeah, it is. And disciple says, you know what? I believe Jesus' words, and Jesus said, and I quote, in this world, 
you will experience tribulation. But Jesus said, be strengthened. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. So the purpose of trials is to make us spiritually tough. You gotta stay with me now, okay? So Christ's disciples seek to transfer right answers about Jesus into their real life situations. Next slide, please, Dave. So today, in the American church, I'm generalizing, but I'm not. I'll tell you why I'm talking about it in a minute. Today, the idea of a relationship with the risen Jesus has come to be totally isolated from being his disciple and learning to do what he did easily, naturally, regularly. That is what we're supposed to be. So let's get context for you. So I just got research this week from two different tremendous, incredible sources. The best research we have, self-reported, all across the nation, 17% of America ever goes to church in the course of a year. One, seven percent. Okay, now hold that thought. The American Bible Society has done a tremendous amount of research on how people read and use their Bibles. And in COVID, the last two years, they found that in their research, 26 million Christians, hear the word Christians, have said they stopped reading their Bible. What are we to make of these two facts? Most people only read or hear their Bible in church. If they go to a church, they don't hear or read the Bible. So the context we're living now is, is in a post-Christian, post-modern world. And if you go to, let's just say, sporting events. Did you watch the fans in the Yankee-Yankees game yesterday? Have you watched the fans at basketball games? Have you watched fans at NASCAR races? What's happening in the streets of our country? How many people got shot in three different parties in America two weeks ago? How many? 200. Now, into this context, we hear these words. Consider it pure joy when you experience troubles of different kinds because the testing of your faith brings spiritual toughness. That's what James, remember the context now. He, this, is not, this is not willy-nilly. This is a guy who's going to get thrown out of a temple and stoned to death. This is a guy who's pastoring people who got no food. You know the stories in St. Paul in the epistles, in 1 Corinthians 6, what's St. What's Paul doing? He's bringing an offering to where? To Jerusalem. Because people in Jerusalem got no food. They got nothing. So he's asking poor Gentile slaves to give an offering to bring it to Jerusalem to the Jewish Christians who are on the margins who don't have food to eat. And James says to those people in Jerusalem and Jews scattered, Jewish Christians scattered, consider it joy. Now, back to here. If we are abiding in Christ, if his words dwell richly in us, if his spirit is filling us, if we have brothers and sisters, 17 times he uses the phrase brothers and sisters. 
If all those things are in place, we can become people who say what Jesus say, do what Jesus did, and think what Jesus thought as though he were living his life in us. Does that make it sense? So that's, that's where James is going. Now, having said that, let's, let's look at the trials. Jim, slide four, four, first four. I'm sorry. I'm watching the clock, so I'm rushing. Forgive me. Here are the themes that we're going to see all the way through this letter from the brother of Jesus. Face trials. Embrace, I mean, overcome temptations. We're going to look at those first two today for a few minutes. Embrace love, become wise, and steward money well. That's what he's going to be talking about. Now, I'm going to make one more comment. Someone sent me an email this week, uh, and they're very frustrated with a number of things among us. Uh, and many, many, many viable concerns. But one of them really interesting. He's, the person says to me, what I can't stand is I go to work on Monday and I see people from our church who live hypocritical lives. He said, it's just so discouraging for me because I'm, I just acknowledge I'm a flaming hypocrite. But I see people in church on Sunday morning and they go to work on Monday and they just make me sick. Now, that may be a strong statement. It may be an unkind statement. But it raises the question, are we living as Jesus lived if he lived his life in us and through us? See, that's what we're poking at. Now, having said that, let me just give you, let's talk about trials for a minute. You may have slides uh, seven and eight. So the word trial, so verses two and three and 12, the word trial, I'm defining like this. A trial is an unwelcome guest or unanticipated experience which reveals the quality of the person facing adversity, which can lead to Christ-like character and actions. The intent of the trial is number three, is to help us, encourage us, guide us, strengthen us that we can develop a Christ-like character. Let me ask a crazy question for you. In the new heaven and new earth, what from this planet will you bring into the new heaven and new earth? Your character. Is that fair? Your character. What you will take into the new heaven is the person you are. That's why living this life in Christ is so important. You will bring with you forever the person you are becoming. So if, if, if I am a midget baby Christian, follow me a little bit here, in the new heaven and new earth, I have a whole bunch of growing to become like Jesus. And fortunately, Jesus is so patient and kind and he has forever to help me become mature and complete. But you may come into the new heaven and earth and you have become a woman or a man, a boy or girl of great character. And what will the Lord say to you? If you follow me, I'll later on unpack this. In Genesis chapter one and two, and near the end of Revelation, listen, you are training for reigning. Character, the character of Christ that is being formed through trials and adversity allows us to be receptacles 
of the character of Christ. As we become more Christ-like, we can, he can entrust us with power and with authority and with many things because we have the right character. Trials are intended to produce toughness and character. So instead of running from trials, we need to think, how is the Lord making, helping me become like Jesus? Let me just, real quick, and I'm going to move on. So Kirk's death. When Kirk died, I guess guess our youngest son died uh, four years ago. And ESPN did a piece and blah, blah, blah. About 50 different pastors emailed me after that piece came out on ESPN and said, we have left the Christian faith because they too lost children. They said, if that's our God, screw it. I want nothing to do with that God. They left the faith. But then I read a book, and I referenced this book about a husband and wife who lost two children, two sons, 19 and 20, asphyxiated in a car in a snowbank. And the phrase I've never forgotten, I'm going back to this, He said, the death of a child does not destroy a marriage. The death of a child reveals the state of the marriage. Get to follow me. A trial does not destroy your faith. A trial reveals the depth of your faith. And what the Lord is trying to do is build tough people. People who can handle all kinds of things in all kinds of settings like Jesus would if he were living his life in us. Does that make sense? Follow me? Okay, next slide, please. Let's go to the next slide, and then I'll go to somewhere else. Um, I'm sorry, Jim. Uh, Dave. Let's just go here one more time. I'm, I'm sorry, back one. There you go. So if our Christ-like maturity is increasing, we're able to embrace truth and light and bear good fruit, and that's verse 18. So, so I want to keep pushing. You've got to stay with me. Stay, come back next week, please. I've got to really push you here. You, you, you have, we all have to learn to think, 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 think as Jesus thinks. We have to gain the mind of Christ so that when these things come to us, we have a foundation from which to live. Remember, how we think affects how we feel, how we act, and how we live. Your mind controls how you live. So that's why he says, set your minds on things about the things of Christ in his kingdom, not on earthly things. Set your heart on things about why. So that as we think, okay, so what happens as we're developing the care of Christ, his light and his love come through us, and then we bear good fruit. So I've said character here is what we take with us. So what is it the character of Christ, the Holy Spirit, wants to grow in us? He wants us to take in the new heaven and new earth what we are practicing now. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You're practicing here for how you will live there. The purpose of trials is to develop spiritual toughness. So if cruise missiles hit Pella tomorrow, what is the level of your spiritual toughness? I can look around the room and different ones of you are right now are in seasons of incredible 
trial. And I, I can't name names. I can just give a shout out. I look in this room, I can see four people who, if I had permission, I could ask them to stand. And I would say in seasons of really, really, really hard trials, they are clinging like crazy to Jesus. They're trying to develop the character of Christ. So those, for those four families, you know I'm looking at you. You know who you are. Well done. But that's for all of us. Consider it joy when you experience trials for the testing of your faith produces this maturity. Verse 12, then it says, blessed, happy is the person who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person received the crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. The crown of life. And we often think that comes after we leave this life to the next. I'm gonna push back on that. You can experience the crown of life right now. I'll think about this. We often think that when we die, we experience eternal life. You are an eternal being right now. You were conceived. Remember Ephesians 1, remember that back in the day? Before the creation of the world, you were con conceived in the mind of God and adopted. Remember the whole thing, remember Ephesians 1, all that? He's trying to grow women and men, boys and girls, who look and act like Jesus. So that you live, stay with me, when you close your eyes here, listen, you might not even know you're dead. Because we are eternal beings. What did Jesus say in John 11? The one who lives in and believes in me, I'm quoting Jesus, will never die. You are an eternal being. And you are preparing now for the life to come. So consider it pure joy when you experience trials of different kinds because the testing of your faith produces spiritual toughness. Let's go to temptations real quick. Can you look at me in verse 13? Oh, brother. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, what I mean by that, I'm going to explain it real quickly in slide nine. Temptation moves from a source. Read the passage. Temptation starts here. Actually, it starts here. It starts in us, and it has a course. Temptation is conceived. It is birthed. And if I live with my temptation, there's going to be some kind of death. Relational death, spiritual death, a death of hope, death of life, death of relationships. The, so, the source is right here. This is, now go back. Why do we want this spiritual toughness? So we have the character of Christ. So we can carry the character of Christ so that when temptations come, starting right here, there's no place for them to be conceived. 
There is no place for them to be birthed. And I'll go back to what we just talked about. And so we have life. We have life. We have life in Christ. So what he's saying is the, the, the trials are producing character, toughness, so that when temptations come, you are so connected to Jesus, they, don't, they cannot birth in us. There's no space. So, trials, temptations. How do we apply that? Well, let, before I do that, let me, let me ask a question now. Dave, can I have slide, slide nine? And worship leaders, come on up. Or slide 11, I'm sorry, 11. Could you, if you're willing, um, let's, if you're willing, could you take a couple minutes? Let's just start this conversation, and maybe today with your family or friends, have some more. Um, the, the verse for the whole series is, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So how does that verse apply to you? How does doing what Jesus said apply to you? That, that'd be one way of conversation. Or, if you're willing, share a trial or share a temptation. And I'm not talking to the juiciest ones. Just, let's just start with. Um, I, I told a white lie yesterday. Let's start real simple. But, it, but, but look what I'm getting at. What I'm trying to talk about is character formation. See, something happens if we can name our sin. There's something that happens when we don't hide it, but we name it. So, could you just take two or three minutes of conversation, and then I want to come back and tell you a story, and then we're going to end up. So take two or three minutes, please. Can you talk? Pick something up there. If not, just make it up, but just talk. All right, thank you so much. Let me, let me push into this a little bit now. So th this is give you rubber hit the road stuff. So this week I received on Thursday afternoon, I received an email, which I'm gonna read with permission, part of it. And so let me give you a bit, so remember I said, I asked, I asked someone who emailed, he watched the Easter service this week, past week. In light of that, he wrote me an email. I'm gonna read from part of it. And then I preached on considerate joy when you, experience trials. Well, I don't, I don't name this family, but they're going through incredible trial with children. Incredible. So he watched the sermon last Sunday, and we read, and we last, last time we talked about the risen Jesus. So the first paragraph is risen Jesus, and the second is, is wrestling. And I say, after he, I read this to, to you, to him, I'm asking him to write me an email next week and I'm gonna read what he said to me, to you next week. So this is what he said. 
experiencing the risen Christ. He said, in my quest, and after several months after a child's diagnosis, I encountered God in a way I had never experienced. I had a vision. In fact, I was believed I was transported to another realm where I saw a cosmic battle that is being raised between the forces of light and darkness. And Jesus spoke to me, the risen Jesus spoke to me and said, he told me, cleave your way to me. Then I had a dream where I saw Jesus. Jesus came to me and touched me and said one name, one word, my name. He says, I know in my heart that Jesus, the word of God, is true. I know Jesus is alive. I know he's coming back to make things right. But in the present, my heart is still so overwhelmed with sadness that some days I don't want to get out of bed. The life our family faces is so dark, so vile, so evil. It is hard to keep my focus on what I know to be true in my head and my heart. So he has this experience with Jesus. And then he writes, and this is, this is the but honest part. How can I live a life that models Jesus, that he is alive, when my heart is overwhelmed with sadness? I do my best to love those around me, to serve with compassion, to do my job, to love my children. But in the deep recesses of my heart, I feel only despair. So I know I'm supposed to say Jesus is alive, and I want to say it, but I don't know how. In the meantime, my broken heart only makes it harder to live with hope. He's probably watching right now. I'll look at him in the camera. So let me talk to him. You just listen. Speak the words of Jesus, brother, to you. Consider it. Think about it. Pure joy. When you face trials of every kind. Because the purpose of the trials is to make you spiritually so I asked him to listen and I asked him to write me and next week I want to read you what he wrote me but my challenge to us is will we ask to have the mind of Christ that when we face trials of various kinds we understand we still have a good, good Father who wants to help us become like Jesus. And the purpose of the trial you face is to make you whole and mature and complete. Please come back next week. Let's pray. Lord, I look in this room and see people I love whose stories are hard, whose trials are significant. And I pray that you'd release a spirit of love over these precious people. 
And somehow you would be deeper and stronger and kinder and better than anything they can imagine in the midst of the trial they face. And I pray that you would change minds. You would literally do brain surgery and start to help us to think with the mind of Jesus. So we invite your healing power. Would you be our great physician? And after you heal minds, Lord, would you heal hearts? And would you offer hope? Help us to realize that we have a living hope. We pray you'd allow us to embrace it, to receive it, and to live out of it. For we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.